Chapter thirty five of the Uncommercial Traveller. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley. The Uncommercial Traveller by Charles Dickens. Chapter thirty five on an amateur beat it is one of my fancies that even my idlest walk must always have its appointed destination i set myself a task before i leave my lodging in covent garden on a street expedition and should no more think of altering my route by the way or turning back and leaving a part of it unachieved then I should think of fraudulently violating an agreement entered into with somebody else. The other day, finding myself under this kind of obligation to proceed to Limehouse, I started punctually at noon in compliance with the terms of the contract with myself to which my good faith was pledged. On such an occasion, it is my habit to regard my walk as my beat and myself as a higher sort of police constable doing duty on the same there is many a ruffian in the streets whom i mentally collar and clear out of them who would see mighty little of london i can tell him if i could deal with him physically issuing forth upon this very beat and following with my eyes three hulking garroters on their way home which home I could confidently swear to be within so many yards of Drury Lane, in such a narrow and restricted direction, though they live in their lodging quite as undisturbed as I in mine, I went on duty with a consideration which I respectfully offer to the new chief commissioner, in whom I thoroughly confide as a tried and efficient public servant how often thought i have i been forced to swallow in police reports the intolerable stereotyped pill of nonsense how that the police constable informed the worthy magistrate how that the associates of the prisoner did at that present speaking dwell in a street or court which no man dared go down and how that the worthy magistrate had heard of the dark reputation of such street or court and how that our readers would doubtless remember that it was always the same street or court which was thus edifyingly discoursed about say once a fortnight now suppose that a chief commissioner sent round a circular to every division of police employed in london requiring instantly the names in all districts of all such much-puffed streets or courts which no man durst go down and suppose that in such circular he gave plain warning if those places really exist they are proof of police inefficiency which i mean to punish and if they do not exist but are a conventional fiction then they are a proof of lazy tacit police connivance with professional crime which i also mean to punish what then fictions or realities could they survive the touchstone of this atom of common sense 
to tell us in open court until it has become as trite a feature of news as the great gooseberry that a costly police system such as was never before heard of has left in london in the days of steam and gas and photographs of thieves and electric telegraphs the sanctuaries and stews of the stewards why a parody of practice in all departments would bring back the plague in two summers and the druids in a century walking faster under my share of this public injury i overturned a wretched little creature who clutching at the rags of a pair of trousers with one of its claws and at its ragged hair with the other pattered with bare feet over the muddy stones i stopped to raise and succor this poor weeping wretch and fifty like it but of both sexes were about me in a moment begging tumbling fighting clamoring yelling shivering in their nakedness and hunger the piece of money i had put into the claw of the child i had overturned was clawed out of it and was again clawed out of that wolfish gripe and again out of that and soon i had no notion in what part of the obscene scuffle in the mud of rags and legs and arms and dirt the money might be in raising the child i had drawn it aside out of the main thoroughfare and this took place among some wooden hoardings and barriers and ruins of demolished buildings hard by temple bar unexpectedly from among them emerged a genuine police constable before whom the dreadful brood dispersed in various directions he making feints and darts in this direction and in that and catching nothing when all were frightened away he took off his hat pulled out a handkerchief from it wiped his heated brow and restored the handkerchief and hat to their places with the air of a man who had discharged a great moral duty as indeed he had in doing what was set down for him i looked at him and i looked about at the disorderly traces in the mud and i thought of the drops of rain and the footprints of an extinct creature hoary ages upon ages old that geologists have identified on the face of a cliff and this speculation came over me if this mud could petrify at this moment and could lie concealed here for ten thousand years i wonder whether the race of men then to be our successors on the earth could from these or any marks by the utmost force of the human intellect unassisted by tradition deduce such an astounding inference as the existence of a polished state of society that bore with the public savagery of neglected children in the streets of its capital city and was proud of its power by sea and land and never used its power to seize and save them after this when i came to the old bailey and glanced up it towards newgate i found that the prison had an inconsistent look there seemed to be some unlucky inconsistency in the atmosphere that day for though the proportions of st paul's cathedral are very beautiful it had an air of being somewhat out of drawing in my eyes i felt as though the cross were too high up and perched upon the intervening golden ball too far away 
Facing eastward, I left behind me Smithfield and Old Bailey, Fire and Faggot, Condemned Hold, Public Hanging, Whipping Through the City at the Cart Tail, Pillory, Branding Iron, and other beautiful ancestral landmarks, which rude hands have rooted up, without bringing the stars quite down upon us as yet, and went my way upon my beat, noting how oddly characteristic neighborhoods are divided from one another, hereabout, as though by an invisible line across the way. Here shall cease the bankers and the money-changers, here shall begin the shipping interest and the nautical instrument shops here shall follow a scarcely perceptible flavoring of groceries and drugs here shall come a strong infusion of butchers now small hosiers shall be in the ascendant henceforth everything exposed for sale shall have its ticketed price attached all this as if specially ordered and appointed a single stride at houndsditch church no wider than suffice to cross the kennel at the bottom of the cannon gate which the debtors in holyrood sanctuary were wont to relieve their minds by skipping over as scott relates and standing in delightful daring of catch-poles on the free side a single stride and everything is entirely changed in grain and character. West of the stride, a table or a chest of drawers on sale shall be of mahogany and French polished. East of the stride, it shall be of deal, smeared with a cheap counterfeit resembling lip salve. West of the stride, a penny loaf or bun shall be compact and self-contained. East of the stride, it shall be of a sprawling and splay-footed character, as seeking to make more of itself for the money. My beat, lying round by Whitechapel Church and the adjacent sugar factories, great buildings tier upon tier that have the appearance of being nearly related to the dock warehouses at Liverpool, I turned off to my right, and passing round the awkward corner on my left, came suddenly on an apparition familiar to london streets afar off what london peripatetic of these times has not seen the woman who has fallen forward double through some affection of the spine and whose head has of late taken a turn to one side so that it now droops over the back of one of her arms at about the wrist who does not know her staff and her shawl and her basket as she gropes her way along capable of seeing nothing but the pavement never begging never stopping forever going somewhere on no business how does she live whence does she come whither does she go and why i mind the time when her yellow arms were naught but bone and parchment slight changes steal over her for there is a shadowy suggestion of human skin on them now the strand may be taken as the central point about which she revolves in a half-mile orbit how comes she so far east as this and coming back too having been how much farther 
she is a rare spectacle in this neighborhood i receive intelligent information to this effect from a dog a lopsided mongrel with a foolish tail plodding along with his tail up and his ears pricked and displaying an amiable interest in the ways of his fellow-men if i may be allowed the expression after pausing at a pork-shop he is jogging eastward like myself with a benevolent countenance and a watery mouth as though musing on the many excellences of pork when he beholds this doubled-up bundle approaching he is not so much astonished at the bundle though amazed by that as the circumstance that it has within itself the means of locomotion he stops pricks his ears higher makes a slight point stares utters a short low growl and glistens at the nose as i conceive with terror the bundle continuing to approach he barks turns tail and is about to fly when arguing with himself that flight is not becoming in a dog he turns and once more faces the advancing heap of clothes after much hesitation it occurs to him that there may be a face in it somewhere desperately resolving to undertake the adventure and pursue the inquiry he goes slowly up to the bundle goes slowly round it and coming at length upon the human countenance down there where never human countenance should be gives a yelp of horror and flies for the east india docks being now in the commercial road district of my beat and bethinking myself that stepney station is near i quicken my pace that i may turn out of the road at that point and see how my small eastern star is shining the children's hospital to which i gave that name is in full force all its beds are occupied there is a new face on the bed where my pretty baby lay and that sweet little child is now at rest for ever much kind sympathy has been here since my former visit and it is good to see the walls profusely garnished with dolls i wonder what poodles may think of them as they stretch out their arms above the beds and stare and display their splendid dresses poodles has a greater interest in the patients i find him making the round of the beds like a house surgeon attended by another dog a friend who appears to trot about with him in the character of his pupil dresser poodles is anxious to make me known to a pretty little girl looking wonderfully healthy who had had a leg taken off for cancer of the knee a difficult operation poodles intimates wagging his tail on the counterpane but perfectly successful as you see dear sir the patient patting poodles as with a smile the leg was so much trouble to me that i am glad it's gone i never saw anything in doggery finer than the deportment of poodles when another little girl opens her mouth to show a peculiar enlargement of the tongue poodles at that time on a table 
to be on a level with the occasion, looks at the tongue with his own sympathetically out, so very gravely and knowingly, that I feel inclined to put my hand in my waistcoat pocket and give him a guinea wrapped in paper. On my beat again, and close to Limehouse Church, its termination, I found myself near to certain lead mills. Struck by the name, which was fresh in my memory, and finding on inquiry that these same lead mills were identified with those same lead mills of which I made mention when I first visited the East London Children's Hospital and its neighborhood as uncommercial traveler, I resolved to have a look at them. Received by two very intelligent gentlemen, brothers and partners with their father in the concern, and who testified every desire to show their works to me freely, I went over the lead mills. The purport of such works is the conversion of pig lead into white lead. This conversion is brought about by the slow and gradual effecting of certain successive chemical changes in the lead itself. The processes are picturesque and interesting, the most so being the burying of the lead at a certain stage of preparation in pots, each pot containing a certain quantity of acid besides, and all the pots being buried in vast numbers in layers under tan for some ten weeks. Hopping up ladders and across planks and on elevated perches, until I was uncertain whether to liken myself to a bird or a bricklayer, I became conscious of standing on nothing particular, looking down into one of a series of large cock lofts, with the outer day peeping in through the chinks of the tiled roof above. A number of women were ascending to and descending from this cock loft, each carrying on the upward journey a pot of prepared lead and acid for deposition under the smoking tan. When one layer of pots was completely filled, it was carefully covered in with planks, and those were carefully covered with tan again, and then another layer of pots was begun above, sufficient means of ventilation being preserved through wooden tubes. Going down into the cockloft then filling, I found the heat of the tan to be surprisingly great, and also the odor of the lead and acid to be not absolutely exquisite, though I believe not noxious at that stage. In other cocklofts, where the pots were being exhumed, the heat of the steaming tan was much greater, and the smell was penetrating and peculiar. There were cocklofts in all stages, full and empty, half-filled and half-emptied. Strong, active women were clamoring about them busily, and the whole thing had rather the air of the upper part of the house of some immensely rich old Turk, whose faithful seraglio were hiding his money because the sultan or the pasha was coming. As is the case with most pulps or pigments, so in the instance of this white lead, processes of stirring, separating, washing, grinding, rolling, and pressing succeed. 
some of these are unquestionably inimical to health the danger arising from inhalation of particles of lead or from contact between the lead and the touch or both against these dangers i found good respirators provided simply made of flannel and muslin so as to be inexpensively renewed and in some instances washed with scented soap and gauntlet gloves and loose gowns everywhere there was as much fresh air as windows well placed and opened could possibly admit and it was explained that the precaution of frequently changing the women employed in the worst parts of the work a precaution originating in their own experience or apprehension of its ill effects was found salutary they had a mysterious and singular appearance with the mouth and nose covered and the loose gown on and yet bore out the simile of the old turk and the seraglio all the better for the disguise at last this vexed white lead having been buried and resuscitated and heated and cooled and stirred and separated and washed and ground and rolled and pressed is subjected to the action of intense fiery heat a row of women dressed as above described stood let us say in a large stone bakehouse passing on the baking dishes as they were given out by the cooks from hand to hand into the ovens the oven or stove cold as yet looked as high as an ordinary house and was full of men and women on temporary footholds briskly passing up and stowing away the dishes the door of another oven or stove about to be cooled and emptied was opened from above for the uncommercial countenance to peer down into the uncommercial countenance withdrew itself with expedition and a sense of suffocation from the dull glowing heat and the overpowering smell on the whole perhaps the going into the stoves to work when they are freshly opened may be the worst part of the occupation but i made it out to be indubitable that the owners of these lead mills honestly and sedulously try to reduce the dangers of the occupation to the lowest point a washing place is provided for the women i thought there might have been more towels and a room in which they hang their clothes and take their meals and where they have a good fire range and fire and a female attendant to help them and to watch that they do not neglect the cleansing of their hands before touching their food an experienced medical attendant is provided for them and any premonitory symptoms of lead poisoning are carefully treated their teapots and such things were set out on tables ready for their afternoon meal when i saw their room and it had a homely look it is found that they bear the work much better than men some few of them have been at it for years and the great majority of those i observed were strong and active on the other hand it should be remembered that most of them are very capricious and irregular in their attendance american inventiveness would seem to indicate that before very long white lead may be made entirely by machinery the sooner the better in the meantime 
I parted from my two frank conductors over the mills by telling them that they had nothing there to be concealed and nothing to be blamed for. As to the rest, the philosophy of the matter of lead poisoning and work people seems to me to have been pretty fairly summed up by the Irish woman whom I quoted in my former paper. Some of them gets lead poisoned soon, and some of them gets lead poisoned later, and some, but not many, never, and tis all according to the constitution, sir, and some constitutions is strong, and some is weak. Retracing my footsteps over my beat, I went off duty. End of chapter 35 Recording by Bill Mosley, Bernardo, Texas, USA